you to turn in your Bibles to, uh, whoa, turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 13, okay, Genesis 13, blessed to bless, and we continue with the fourth sermon in the series about Abraham, and the title of the message tonight is this, Back to the Future, okay, <clears throat> You know, I know at one time you really indicted yourself when you admitted going to a movie when you were from the Pentecostal realm, okay? We just didn't do that, but uh, things have changed a little bit now, and I, you know, some still don't go to movies, that's okay, and some that do, pick wisely. Uh, how many of you saw Back to the Future? Anybody? All right, that's almost universal, okay? And there was a car in it, Remember? car was the star of the movie, really, I think. All right, what kind of car was it? DeLorean. Right. Named after its maker, John DeLorean. There was a mad scientist who had turned the DeLorean into a time machine, right? And the idea of the movie was to go back in time, right? And when you're there, you had to make some changes about things. And in context of what I'm going to be speaking today, I need to go back to go forward. I'm going to explain myself in a second. We need to think about going back and celebrating things the right way. I need to go back and undo some things I did wrong. And you're going to ask, how in the world do you do that? And I'm going to talk about that, okay? Back to the future is what Abraham and Sarai are about to do. They're in quite a process in this journey. And here's just a small review. They needed to get out of the land because there was a famine in the land, and they go down to Egypt. And it's important to know that I don't believe it was God's intent for them to go down to Egypt. Some bad things are going to follow them as a result of that decision. Abram actually gives his wife away to the Pharaoh. He found out what was going on because God sent plagues to him. Sarai was most likely put into Pharaoh's harem. And there are scars now in her life, in Abraham's life. And we're going to move quickly into this. Number one, start over, but don't quit. Abraham and Sarai have traveled to Egypt. And if we could, show the map up here, okay? I was afraid. It's kind of dark. There we go. We turned down a little bit. Over here on the left side of the map, you can see that real dark area. That's the Mediterranean Sea. And if you look just... One-third of the way up, you're going to see Jerusalem. Right in that area was Bethel and Ai. And there's a dotted line, and I know you can't see it, but it goes all the way over here to the Negev in the lower left side of the map, and that's Egypt. That's where they travel to. You can go ahead and bring up the lights if you want to. That's where they travel from Bethel and Ai all the way down to Egypt. All right? Now, they're returning. And when they return, they return almost the same path. They've been kicked out of Egypt. Have you ever heard the phrase, I feel like I'm going in circles? They were living one step back and two steps forward or two steps back and one step forward, whatever way you want to look at it. But sometimes our lives feel just like that. But guess what? Abraham didn't quit. Genesis 13 and 1 says, So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, 
with his wife and everything that he had, and Lot went with him. Do they own more now than they did when they left? Yes, lots more. Animals, servants. This is where Bible scholars believe that Abraham acquired Hagar to be a servant to his wife. She's now on the journey. And that's going to become very important in a couple of weeks when she bears a child from Abraham. Here's the point. How many times in your life have you wished you could do something over? Have you ever wished that you had not said something? Do you wish you could go back and take it away or say it differently? Do you wish you could take that email back that you typed in anger and you push sin, and you wish, oh boy, I wish I could do that over. That's exactly what Abraham is going through right now. He's going through the do-overs. Sometimes, when I look at the life of Abraham, I want to ask, what were you thinking? Then I remember Abraham didn't have a Bible. He didn't have the Levitical law. He didn't have the Ten Commandments. God just said go. He didn't even have a road map, and he went. Abraham's a wanderer, and he's got to figure this thing out as he goes. He made a lot of mistakes, and I know we all have too. We don't quit over mistakes, so I want us all to clear our minds over that. We don't quit when we make mistakes, all right? We don't quit school because we couldn't figure out calculus one. We don't quit. Well, some of us quit. We don't quit things just because we make mistakes. Number two, this is, a, uh, to me, a paradox. He had wealth. Abraham had wealth, but he had no home. A fascinating reality. All of my life, I've had a home. Every night of my life, I've had a roof over my head. Every day. And I, when I leave here this afternoon, I'm going to go home. I'm going to sit down, I'm going to have a Diet Pepsi, sit down in my Lazy Boy recliner in the comfort and the heat of my home, and I'm going to just enjoy the Heisman Trophy presentation tonight. That's the plan. I was watching the news and weather this week, as I'm sure all of you were. I was anticipa anticipating the snowpocalypse. They were showing several homeless camps around Tulsa on the news. And people were going to be checking on them this week to make sure that they were okay. And I began to think, what a challenge to live without a roof over your head. The only thing to heat you would be a fire from the wood that you'd collected. None of the creature comforts that you and I take for granted all the time, and I'm not trying to make you feel guilty for having those, but I feel so bad for those who don't. Genesis 13 and 2 says, Abraham became very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. And he did that just from going down to Egypt. God didn't tell him to go there. He just went. It's kind of a sad thing. He's got all this stuff, but he doesn't have a place that he can call home. From all appearances, he looks very, very successful, but no home. And it's strange how we define success. We see people with lots of money and we think, now they're a success. 
But I wonder if their home and their family sometimes are in disarray. The people have or appear to have success have immense problems. You, you've heard of Tom Hanks, haven't you? And his wife, Rita Wilson, and they look like a very, very happy family. Well, they have a son who's been addicted to drugs. He's been sued. They have personally been sued for allowing their son to drive their vehicle while impaired and causing a vehicular accident. And on and on it goes inside the walls of what looks like success. Success, in a sense. Billy Bob Thornton, famous for his role in Sling Blade, he won Best Actor that year. His daughter, convicted of murder. Matter of fact, she murdered her, her goddaughter. Success? Rudy Giuliani, he's got millions, yet his daughter is arrested for shoplifting. Success? Would you rather have money or a settled, peaceful home? A friend who attended church with me at our church in Sepulpa, she was married to a country music star. As a matter of fact, the lady I'm talking about is the daughter of Darla. Darla's sister was married to a country music star. You'd know his name if I'd mentioned it, but I, I won't. Her marriage tumultu was tumultuous to say the least. Eventually they divorced. She never discussed why they divorced. But today she's now living in a long-term marriage and a life of peace and comfort. This couple, they now live on modest means but they live within a loving home. And I know what the answer would be if I were to ask that question, would you rather have the money or would you rather have the peace and the comfort of the home? And some of you are asking, can you have both? Well, I suppose you can, but you've got to really focus. Abraham has given his life away. I said his life away, his wife away. Abraham has given his wife away, and thank God he got her back. He's now just wandering with all this wealth but no home. Folks, chasing a dollar is not nearly as important as having that peaceful home. And I'm going to refer back to another friend of mine. He's got one of the largest moving companies in all the world. His wife and he had one child. And look from the outside, it appears he has everything, but to the honest observer, He's lost most of everything, and I'm not talking about his money. He spent his entire life building a hugely successful business. He had little time for that one son that they had. He and his son have no relationship to speak of, and the son is constantly being bailed out of situations that he's created for himself. Successful business, yes. Successful life, leave that up to you. Number three, sometimes we need to retrace our steps, and that's what uh, Abraham and Sarah have done. 
In verse 3, if you go back to the previous chapter, you'll see the names of the cities in reverse order. They've retraced their steps almost exactly. They're going back to the future, so to speak. Genesis 13 and 3 says, From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came back to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier. They're back at the initial campground. They've come full circle. What does it mean to go back and make adjustments in my life? What's the place of error in our lives that we needed to run back to and make adjustments? Are there places that you need to go and look at and say, you know, I need to work on that. I need to retract this. I need to apologize here. I need to settle this. Sometimes it's good to go back to the campground where you were at before and say, Lord, I didn't do this very well. Can I correct it? Some of you have put all of those things under the blood, and I recommend that you don't dig them up again. But it can be very helpful if you don't have things settled to go back and perhaps work it out. Abraham is back. The campground seems different. Now he has the pain of his mistakes and lots of baggage that he wasn't carrying before. Do you think Sarai and Abram have had a real good talk about what he did? Do you think Sarai ever confronted Abram and stated, you know, I wish you hadn't asked me to tell those people I was simply your sister. You know, it's really healthy in a relationship to go back and talk through those feelings you've had. Dana and I had an argument one time. And Dana's better at it than I am. And I'm not talking about arguing, okay? She insists that we go back and discuss what happened that brought us to the point of the contention. And she's real good at that. I'd rather just say, I'm sorry, let's move on. Dana's much more healthy that way. But Sarah has some scars. There is baggage inside the camp that nobody sees. And I hope that Abraham and Sarai had that conversation. I think it's in these moments that God begins to recycle us. And probably a better word than recycle is probably repurpose. We're refurbished. He reestablishes our purpose. He polishes us up and sets our feet in a good direction when we come to that point, when we can have that conversation with Him. Number four, what does the path of success look like? One of these days, write down on a piece of paper, I have been successful if, and you can write it down. You fill in the blanks. Would that involve financial goals? I'm successful if I've achieved that. Would it be about relationships? And on and on and on. I don't know, and that's up to you. But Genesis 12 and 4 says, and where he had first built an altar. He built an altar before the trip, remember? He built an altar there to worship the Lord. He built an altar, and there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. And if you remember, this is the place in the previous chapter where he built the altar of worship. He has memories as he approaches this altar and about why he built that altar. Now he has all this other stuff, baggage that he wasn't carrying before. And this is his repurposed time. 
Abraham is sitting down before God at the place of worship and saying, I surrender. God, I blew it. I lied. I lost the trust of some of the people in my life. I need a restart. And the Holy Spirit begins to draw him back to that point where God can transform his mind and refurbish you and your future. It's happened to me before. And I dare say it has happened to you, and if it's not, it will. God will take you back to that starting point, to that altar, where he can begin to transform your mind, repurpose you, and put you on a path that is positive and great for the rest of your life. I saw on Facebook the other night, I thought it was pretty good, and I wish I could show it to you. But it had this little square. It was a graph for success. And on this side, this side with you, it had successes over here going up. Then on the bottom, it had the trials. And down here in the corner, it had a line with an arrow on it going straight up like this. You know, kind of dissecting the page. Graph for success. And then next to it, it had the same size of square page. The same layout, success, trials, and it said at the bottom, the real path to success, and it went something like this. Life is not going to be without trials. Success doesn't mean perfect sailing. Success doesn't mean that everything went right all the time. Many times you're doing like Abraham did. You really don't know where you're going and you're just doing your best to navigate this situation. Abraham's living a tough life. Sometimes it's years before his successes. He's living under the stars. He's living outside. This thing, carrying all this cattle, all of these servants, all these things, this is a grind. And if you want to be successful, no matter what you think success looks like, you've got to be patient. I was listening to the DVD of a man that I really respect and has become by anyone's standard a success in the business world. Someone commented that he was an overnight success. And he said, yes, I've been a 32-year overnight success. We look at the end of a person's journey and we see the marvelous success. We don't see all the trials that they've walked through and got where they are. I admire T.D. Jakes. He's one of the most brilliant, uh, well-spoken men that I've ever seen in my life. On top of that, that powerful anointing. I used to think, man, I want an anointing like T.D. Jakes had. That is just powerful. And then I began to think, you know, T.D. Jakes got an anointing through all kinds of difficulty that he went through in his life. All kinds of stumbling blocks, all kinds of prejudice, all kinds of health issues, all kinds of different things in his life. And I began to think, do I really want that anointing? Because I think I would probably have to go down his path and through his journey and go through everything that he went through to be able to get it. Do I really want it? I hear people say they want to be like Jesus. And I say, really? You want to be like Jesus? So you want a cross. So you want to be flogged with the can of nine tails. So you want one of your best friends to betray you. You want all of your friends to walk away from you in the darkest hour of your life. So you want to be like Jesus? Is that what you're really asking? I get it. 
We want the good things. You know, we want the anointing. We want the power. <laughs> what he wants for us. We don't see all the trials. The best thing for us to do is build an altar. Got about six thoughts, and I'm going to let you go. When you fall, try to fall forward. And there's a book called that. That's no secret to most of you. But we all make mistakes. And I'm not talking about sin stuff necessarily. Maybe you were angry one time and you shouldn't have been. Maybe you weren't polite. Maybe you've been snippy to people. Maybe you've done some kind of attitude thing. You know? But when you fall, fall in the direction that honors God. And when you're trying to please God and you're not quitting and you're moving forward, you're going to fall forward. You know, I like the game of football. That's no uh, secret. But a good running back will be said of him that it seems like every time he's tackled, he always falls forward. He's always tackled forward. And that's good for another yard, maybe two, you know. I'm five foot nine, maybe a yard and a half. Number two, never let arrogance keep you from admitting your mistakes. Wow. There are a lot of people who have so much pride that if you were to approach them about anything that is correctable in their lives, they become defensive. They don't want to talk about it. They say, that's just not true. Nobody likes criticism. But I found if you're criticized, you need to evaluate it properly. You need to look at it and throw away those things that just aren't true. Okay? But sometimes there's an element of truth in the criticism. And you need to internalize that and change it in your life. Because we never think we do anything wrong. That's arrogance. If we evaluate it correctly, we take that little piece, and it can make your life better. We can benefit from the criticism. My pastor stood up here on my 60th birthday. He had a problem in his life, and he was confronted with it. And he readily admits it to his close friends. He had very poor grades. In the church where I was his associate pastor, 85%, no, that's an exaggeration. I'm going to say over 70% of the people were college educated in the church. And poor grammar did not help him there. Somebody sat down with him over lunch and corrected him, said, you need to work on that. And it hurt him. He was offended. And he left and he was upset and he thought, how dare that guy say that to me. He gets home. His wife, Sharon, asked him how the lunch went. He said, i got to ask you something, and I want you to be honest with me. Do I have poor grammar? This is what this man said. And she looked at him and said, Lee, the man who criticized you is correct. You know what my pastor did? He didn't get mad. He didn't get angry. He left there, and he began to improve it through study. 
He allowed an English teacher within the church to train him to help him. He was terrible with double negatives. And he got better. Made him a more effective pastor. One of the things about Abram, he's trying. Okay? Sometimes the best you can do is this. The two most difficult words in the English language to put together and say are, I'm sorry. And you don't need to excuse it. You don't need to say, this is why I'm saying I'm sorry. Those two words can be the most effective and powerful words in your life if you'll learn to say them. And say them without any reservation. And don't expect it back. I'm sorry. Wow. You don't need to defend yourself. Just lay your pride away and say, I'm sorry. Then you have placed yourself at the mercy of their grace. And that's not a bad place to be. Just don't make the same mistakes all the time. That starts getting annoying. Okay? Next point, learn from the painful experiences of your life. How many of you like painful experiences? Say amen. Yeah, none of us do. But sometimes that's the only way that we're going to learn some lessons. We learn through painful relationships. We learn through painful money situations. Investments that have gone bad. We learn from painful experiences on the job as well. Let me give you a, an, an analogy. I've hiked to the bottom of the Grand Canyon four times. And I've been injured three times. I go down, and when you're walking down the Grand Canyon, your weight is being placed on your feet at stopping with every step you take. And you can imagine what toll that takes on your toes. And I develop a condition called canyon toe. That's what they call it. And in lay people's language, that's blisters that rise up underneath your toenail about this high and raise your toenails up out of the bed. It hurts. And it hurts bad. The last time, not the last time, but the third time I went, I developed this condition. We had started hiking about noon, and we didn't take any consideration as to when the sun would be going down. We got to the bottom of the canyon where the Colorado River is racing about 70 feet below us, and there's a trail about this wide, and there's the canyon cliff, and we're walking along like this in pitch dark. We can't see a thing, and we don't have a light. And I'm hobbling, trying to make it. We finally made it. By the time the next day when we got up, what happened, we did find a light, and I had my iPod on, and my hand hit my side where my iPod was on, and the light went out. And I was standing there punching the button on my iPod all the way along the canyon rim until I got to our dormitory. I got to say this. Halfway up the next day, I'm sitting down. I've taken my shirt off, my shoes, and this lady's sitting over there. 
cooling myself down with water. And she goes, did you hear about those guys that hiked in by the light of their iPod last night? I became a canyon legend. I said, yeah, I know a little bit about that. Four times to hike down to the bottom of the canyon, I finally learned my painful lesson. I got boots that fit me. I wrapped my toes in moleskin. I wrapped, wrapped lamb's wool around them and stuffed the end of my boots with that lamb's wool. And I came out out of the canyon the next day, no canyon pain. I figured it out, but it took me three terrible, horrible, painful experiences to learn it. But I learned my lesson. You guys, don't make the same mistakes three, four, five times. Learn them the first time. Don't be like me, okay? Painful experiences cause us to change. I learned. However slow, I learned. Next, never stop, stop growing and changing. Have you ever heard of someone that they're just so set in their ways? I don't want that set of me. And I'm just stuck. Okay? I watched a woman in our church down in Dallas. She was in her 90s. She was on Facebook. She texted. She was a trainer at her gym. She went to the gym. She's 90 years old, and all these other older people were there. The people who worked there asked her if she would train those people. She still drove her Cadillac. She was willing to change with the times and be flexible. Oh, in moral things, you couldn't change her. You couldn't budge her. But as far as adapting to the times, she was able to do that. And finally, don't let others define who you are. We all have history. We all have hidden pain. Some of you grew up in a home that was terrible. You have scars from that. And if you had parents that weren't so great, don't let those parents define you. God's got something bigger than you now for you. He can heal you. Don't let the bully at school define you. Don't let a teacher at school define you. Henry Ford said this, If you think you can or you can't, you're right. Some of our self-talk is sabotaging our life. And that's not just psychology. It's Bible. You can be transformed as we allow God to change and to renew how we think about our lives and how we think about ourselves. Who's defining you right now? I hope it's God. And the last is stay tender towards God. Sarai and Abram could have been bitter. Where are you, God? We've asked those kind of things sometimes. At the end of the day, Abram comes back to the altar again and again and again. And that's what we have to do. We have something come against our life that's painful, hurtful, whatever it is that's coming at us that's difficult. We've got to keep coming back to the altar again and again and again. You know, I remember having an art class when I was in junior high. And I love that art. You take that string and you cut off a piece of clay and you got your share of the clay and you could mold it into a squirrel, into a rabbit, into a horse. You could mold it into anything you want. You could take it and you could throw it down on the ground and it would take on the form of whatever you threw it down on. But when you had molded it and finally got it into the piece of or the object that you wanted it to be in, 
you fired it up in the kiln. And after it came out, there was no more molding. The only thing that can happen to change that is this fall or you break it because it was stiff, rigid, hard, and very brittle. And I think that's what happens in our lives sometimes. So we just get so angry and we get so bitter and we get so hurt and we go through the fires of life and we just get brittle and hard and anything that jars us just makes us doubtful, hurts us, and it breaks us. You know, maybe we should let the waters of the Holy Spirit come back into our lives. And I promise God will be faithful to allow you to crawl back up on his potter's wheel. And he'll shape you however you are and allow him to do so. Would you stand?